Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. Meat Hunt, the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, so right off the bat, before we even introduce everyone, uh, Jason Phelps. I'm gonna we're, we're gonna build we're, we're gonna create an elaborate we're gonna create a scenario. Okay. Okay. And you're gonna respond to the scenario, like like how you would suggest people to respond to the scenario. All right. Now, who um who can do like a pretty convincing gobble noise? Oh, oh Mark, please. yeah, yeah, Mark Canyon, yeah. Do you want me to sample it for you? Or? Yeah, let me let hit. It. <laughs> Yeah, okay. let, let, let me get so, my goblin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, you guys, intense. you know how uh, you know when a, when you get a couple gobblers gobbling over each other, right? Yeah. All right, and then who can be an angry hen? I'll go. I'll go angry hen. What's an angry well, no, hen? You're gonna know. be. A, you're gonna be, be, a be. You're the boss gobbler. Okay. Marks the um uh, you're already the subordinate. Me lower in the Mark, <laughs> we haven't even got to duke it out yet. <laughs> okay. Mark's the boss gobbler and Remy's like the gobbler that always tries to gobble over the boss gobbler. Okay. <laughs> and we need a angry hen. Brody? No, I can't do it by mouth. I don't Can anyone to. do an angry hen? <laughs> Who's doing that? Oh, with no aid of Yeah, but I want her like angry. Okay, so yeah, okay. So here you are. Now I'm gonna paint the scenario for you. All right. Okay, it's Jason Phelps. Phelps game calls. You've been making a lot of calls. I have. Just like are dudes buying turkey calls right now, or did they already buy them? They are still right up to the last day, right up to the last week buying. There's still guys yeah. that are like now that it's opening day tomorrow, I'm yeah. gonna get a turkey call. The typical response is, "Hey, if I order today, can you get them out tomorrow? And will they be to me by the next day? Can you have them to my <laughs> campground? <Yeah. laughs> can you have them to my campsite? Yeah. yeah no, it's. Okay, so here you are. It's dark, okay? And, and uh, you're 150 yards away, and here's what's happening. All right, okay? So, so that's what's going on. Okay, so we're going to do real soft tree ups if they're still on the tree. So this, so, okay, so, so you're, you're calculating, they're up in the roost. Yep. 
and you're going to, this is how you're going to do it. And then I'll pause. It's not going to be a lot. You know, drag those out. Well, uh, these gobblers are low T because normal gobblers would have been all over that. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. <laughs> I know my, so my, my calling is that bad that they won't even respond out of the roost <laughs> to, my, to my tree yelp. Um, so that's your tree yelp. Really quiet, four to five yelps. And what are you thinking when you think in the tree yelp? I'm just letting them know. Ideally, I'm still on the tree as a hen. You know, they, they're, they're pretty good at pinpointing, but I'm trying to let them know there is a you know a hen over in that tree oh um, and so, so when you say attention. tree yelp when you say tree yelp you're saying that not that you're yelping to them in the tree but you're in your tree I'm too i'm still in my tree i haven't flown down yet so i'm trying to paint that picture you may they usually roost next to some other hens they know is a for sure thing but i want to let them know hey there's another hen that's over here okay hit me with the tree yelp again <laughs> yeah and so, and so by their instant response, I know they just heard that. And so I may not get really aggressive. I might do, that's enough. Um, yeah. Just to, just to acknowledge that. Cause I'm getting to a part point in my life where I feel like, uh, if I was better at math, I would figure if you made no noise at all, what are the odds knowing that it's a 360 degree circle around the gobbler's tree? What are the odds that he's just going to walk past you anyway? And it changes the farther out you get, I feel. Yep. yep. But it would be a good math question because I feel like I have, like, I feel like as much as you think you're going to call gobblers off the roost, it probably works about as many times as what the odds are that he's going to walk through your five degree band. Yep. I'm going to say I'm, I'm pretty good at turkey off the roost math and it's usually zero times like 472 tries. So 0% that that thing, no matter what, I've never still to this day killed a turkey off the roost. Yeah, I've been there when it's happened, but many. But then I feel like, well, yeah, eventually, eventually it makes sense that he'll leave the roost, and when he has, and he'll pick the spoke of the wheel that I happen to be sitting on. Yep, yep, and that's the time is it. But now, so who is the angry hen? Oh, sorry, that's a gobbler. Yeah, well, you, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> now, now let me hit you with this scenario now, and then I'm gonna hit you with another scenario. Okay. So here's this scenario. Um, you're angry hen in it. I can do that too, I guess. Okay, so, so. Remy, hit your gobble. Hit your tree yelp. And Mark, hit your angry hen. Okay, now what are you thinking? Has your thought changed? So he, did he gobble before? He gobbled before I did my tree yelp, so he never acknowledged me yet. I may tree yelp again and see if I can get him to spark off on that yelp. Let's try it. I just want him to, all right. And then I'll probably be quiet. I want him to call. Even out. though the angry hen is now angry. It, yeah, I mean, See, you don't want to. They're typically fairly quiet in the tree, so you don't want to like overdo it while you're still in the tree and it's too dark to pitch down. So you're just trying to. He's acknowledged me now, and then I'm going to be quiet until they do heat up right before they fly down. So we may get back in the game at that point. Yeah, because then they hit the ground and then so, and so often never make a peep. Yeah, yeah. Because. I mean, they made eye contact. They know what they're after. They, they don't need to communicate at that point. And so yeah, they seem to kind of, they get pretty active right before they pitch down and then kind of go silent there for a little bit and then they'll, they'll pick back up. Now I'm going to hit you with another scenario. And this is the one that gives me a little chub. So <laughs> the, all this happens and, if, and then nothing comes of it. And then you kind of wander around the woods all morning. And around 10 a.m., okay, which is when a lot of turkeys get shot. Yep, at least the ones I shoot at. Around 10 a.m., all of a sudden, now what are you thinking? So 
before I make a sound, I want to get as close as I, as close as the terrain and the vegetation will allow before I make a peep. He's just, he's just giving up his location. I want to be as silent as I can. I'll get as close as it lets me and then I'll sit down and I'm going. Cause he's been out love making the hens yep, all morning. Yep. They all drift off. And so before that happens, also what's going on in my head is this thing just let off a beagle in the middle of the day by himself. He's probably looking for hens at that point. You know, all the hens went into lay. Um, and so I'm already thinking this is a, you know, not a for sure thing, but my odds are very, very high at that bird. As you mentioned, you're, you're killing them at 10 to, to noon. Um, very, very high in that 10 to 2 window um, when they gobble. So I'm going to go get set up and I'm going to go to my 7 to 9 note, you know, yelp. And if I can only bring one call in the woods, it would be this, your typical yelp. So this is what you're hitting middle of the day. Hot gobbler. Yep. So we'll go sit down. And so I'll react to that gobbling a little bit. You know, if he gobbles, I'll maybe try to turn the temperature up um, with yelps. And then if he becomes disinterested, we'll maybe give it five, ten minutes and then go back. Yeah. I'm not really good at being patient. I say five to ten, which is probably like 30 seconds, and then exactly. I'll, I'll call again. Okay, so now here he is, and he shuts up. But you can hear him. Who knows how to make a spitting and, spittin and drumming? <laughs> I could do this. It's... uh. Yeah. So you're hearing that, and it just drags on. You're like, what could be going on? Then what are you going to hit them with? Then we're, we'll switch to real subtle um, clucks, purrs, maybe you know, even scratching the ground next to me. A lot of times when I set up, I'll try to bring some brush or some leaves next to me. We'll, we'll scratch around, and that just real subtle noise at that time to try to get them to, to pull in that last 20 or 30 yards or whatever it may be. Because you're trying to sound like a hand Close, scratching content. around. Yeah, that, that purr and clucks, that real content sound. And so you don't want, necessarily want to blow them out anymore with that, that louder yelp or you know, excited cackles. You're just really trying to get them that last little bit. Or what we've did in some instances, a lot of times we'll play this cat and mouse where you change setups and he just won't come closer. We may give a little call and then we just go silent. Yeah. And like, just, all right, we're, you, you know there's a turkey here. You, it's, the, you know, the, it's in your hands now. So hit us with some of those uh, more subtle tone, tones, tunes. That, and as I mentioned to Mark earlier, it's purring. That, that read's not meant to purr. It's more of a, that Yelper read. But, you know, if I, if I had the right read in, we'd do some purring, just those real light, subtle clucks um, and just real quiet sounds. Yeah, the first time I ever hunted with a really good turkey collar, that he never did. You know, we were this is in South Carolina, which is like well known for having wily, cagey turkeys. And dude, he never ripped out. Like everything he would do was just like just these so subtle little teensy noises. You know, when you're out in the woods and you hear something do with a box call, right? But then the other day I was on YouTube and there's a video of a real live hen who full balls out yelps. 62 times in a row if you were in the woods and heard that you'd think that is some idiot yeah. over there with a, with a box call yep going crazy on a box yeah so yeah real subtle sounds when they're in tight if you can hear spitting and drumming can't see the bird yet um quiet yep now uh last thing on turkeys a couple of years ago hunting in california i was doing that calling back and forth to a gobbler gobbling i'm calling gobbling i'm calling and it just drags on and eventually i'm thinking to myself I'm going to go over to a new spot and try to call him to the next ridge. 
But in traveling over there, it takes a while. So I don't make any noise for 15 minutes to get to the next ridge. By the time I get to the next ridge, I call, and that some bitch is standing right where I left yep, from. Yeah, exactly. Because he eventually got curious. Yep, there was no noise for so long. He's like, well, what happened to right her? Right on you. We had such a thing going on. <laughs> like, what happened to her? So yeah. then I call, and I'm like, oh, now he's gobbling right from where I was sitting. So then I just shut up. And a while later, sure enough, here he's standing there. It just got the Silence. best of him. Because he enjoys, he, I think he was enjoying whatever bird version of enjoyment is. He was enjoying <laughs> that little deal. Yeah, the game. Yeah. Yep. Um, so make a big plug for, uh, make a big plug for Phelps game calls, man. I'm not good at that stuff, but no, um, so we've got, I, I'll do it. Let, oh, let me take a stab right, at right, it. You go. Let me take a stab at it. Um, in a, in a, an American elbow grease story where a guy pounding away, making high quality calls and making a, a nice, good business cranking away in his home, builds a business up and makes like phenomenal calls and insiders know that Phelps calls are right. How's that? I love it. Now you do something like that. (laughs) Like this whole self-promotion thing is just not good with me. Um, No, we, well, you want to plug someone else's call? No, No, you know, I think some people, you know, listen to your podcast, know the story. Um, It's just been a lot of passion. This whole company has been driven by passion. We wanted to build the better mousetrap, come up with the specific sounds we were, we were looking for. And, um, we're pretty excited. You know, we've, we've did very well with the turkey calls. Major, our elk calls are our bread and butter still, um, but we're really excited as we move into the next year. We've got a full predator line, waterfowl line, um, deer call line. Everything's finally going to be where I kind of envisioned it way back when we started. So we're pretty excited to kind of get out of that elk call rut, um, turkey call sprinkled in, but we'll have a full turkey call line, and um, we'll be kind of a complete um, call company at that point. So it's excellent. Yeah. Your fawn call is the best, the most effective black bear call I've ever used. And spring black bears coming up. That's coming from Callahan. And we'll get around the intros in a minute. Um, uh, website? Um, www.phelpsgamecalls.com. Um, we're, you know, for everybody that's on social media, we're very easy to get a hold of, um, contact, um, you know, messages, emails, all of that stuff is on the website and on social media. Excellent, man. Thanks for coming out yep. and doing Turkey Primer. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to rush this episode into, into, into being so that people can capitalize on that, All right, awesome. on, those, on those sweet sounds and sweet notes. Um, okay, it's a huge room full of people. Uh, as though dealing poker, we'll do intros. It's more like a small room full of people. Yeah, small room <laughs> yeah. full of lots, <laughs> lots of people. Lots of people. Brody, strapping into a set. Good. Yeah, hit it. Introduce yourself. Brody yeah. Henderson. There you go. Here I am. <laughs> BHA Rendezvous. Had to drive 10 hours north to uh, to leave winter behind. It's all nice up here now. Beautiful. Yeah. And down in your part of the, in your neck of the woods? I almost died like five minutes from my house driving yesterday. Because of snow in Colorado. Ice, yeah, snow and ice, yeah. yeah. Mark Kenyon, here from Michigan. Mark Kenyon, Wired to Hunt podcast. Yes, sir. We still have winter at home, too. It's no good. Remy Warren. Remy Warren. Just hanging. From Reno. From Reno. You're on your honeymoon. I'm on my honeymoon. I actually came honeymoon? from Fiji. So <laughs> <laughs> it got colder for me. <laughs> uh, Ryan Callahan. BHA Rendezvous. Podcaster. First Light. And uh, 
Mark Boardman. Yep, Mark Boardman. Worked for Vortex Optics out of good old Wisconsin. And, yeah, enjoying the lovely weather we're experiencing in Boise at the BHA Rendezvous. Okay, we're going to um, we're gonna cover a handful of things. But first off, we got a mega correction. <laughs> mega correction. Like, people were kind of irate. Like, this is one of the things that uh, one of the biggest corrections, the biggest wrongs we ever have had is I screwed up and was reading how the how it's a it's a double layered screw up can you explain it Giannis? Oh, man, you're gonna sit, bro. yeah let me let me, let me uh, while you're doing that I'll, I'll sort of set up the screw up we were already discussing some issues about baiting in alabama where in alabama you'd always been allowed to um do supplemental feeding for deer but you couldn't bait for hunting purposes so they came in and tried to clarify the distinction between supplemental feeding for deer and hunting purposes. And once they spelled it out, it seemed to have, according to some people, invited a level of interpretation where it said, for instance, it can't, you know, it has to be a hundred yards away from you. Like you're, if you're hunting, uh, any bait has to be more than a hundred yards away from you and it has to be out of sight from you from a landscape feature. And, a guy wrote in to say, well, people are exploiting this now and, and putting a bait behind a big hay bale 100 yards away and saying, well, I can't see it, right? And it, and it was causing this confusion. And that led to this other thing where the House in Alabama, the state house, voted to just outright legalize baiting for deer and pigs. And we talked about how that was a new law in Alabama, but in fact, not even kind of. Um, it was it never made it to vote in the Senate, right? And then it's yeah. not a law. Break it down, Yanni. And this is a you just you just broke it down. I don't know what else you want me to add. It, it didn't make it, so it's illegal debate. Which I'm so weird about, like the supplemental feeding. Like I don't really understand that. We should have maybe looked into that. But so I guess you can still do that. You can feed wildlife, right? Yep. But you can't bait for the sake of hunting. And so this judge that wrote in was saying that they sort yeah, it was of was a judge that wrote when in. they wrote this sort of thing to help clarify, they actually muddied the waters in the process by saying like, oh, well, if it's like more than 100 yards away and you can't see it, then it's not really a bait pile. But he said that he and every other judge that has had to rule on baiting cases, which they do, um, that they pretty much say, look, man, if, if, like, if, it, if at all you can like see where that deer or whatever it is that you're hunting is in that zone of that bait pile. Like, we're going to call it bait. We're going to call it what it is. Yeah. If it's on the other side of a ridge from you, we're not going to call it bait. But a hay bale 100 yards away, which is what someone wrote to us to say people do, yeah. is clearly illegal. Yeah. Like, not a natural landscape feature. Um, so there's that. And that brings up a quick question for Mark Kenyon. A guy wrote in to ask this, and it makes me think of it right now. Why is in the in the whitetail world? You're a big whitetail fella. They call me a whitetail guy. Uh, you call me a whitetail guy, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, you called yourself a whitetail freak. I think one time that might be true. So, so Mark, like, if you don't know it, like, if you dig, if you dig on whitetails and just all things whitetails, Mark's uh, Wired to Hunt podcast is what you ought to be listening to because. Mark goes way beyond anything we even get close to when it comes to talking about whitetails, which is what, you know, it's America's hunting this animal, right? But a question that I would like you to take on, Mark, a guy wrote in and say, 
why is in some circles why is bait bad but food plots are not bad yeah that's something you gotta have been asked a thousand times. yeah yeah it's a big thing people talk people that don't like bait haters like to pose that question a lot because there's a lot of controversy you say people that don't like bait haters right so yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that hate on people that use bait and those guys that do bait like to say well you're a hypocrite because you plant food plots so you are changing the landscape or doing something that is attracting deer away from their natural patterns to a new place yeah so what is it so where do you stand on this are you a bait hater I'm not a bait hater okay but i'm not a bait user so i don't like to bait but my dad does so whatever more power to you you can do whatever you prefer to do i would rather not but i do plant food plots because for me that is um two things number one with a food plot with a habitat improvement you're putting in a whole there's a whole lot of work and thought and effort going into that so it feels like you're i don't know going through some threshold of like work put into something that i don't feel like you achieve the same as dumping a pile of corn number two you're you're Okay, that's not going to resonate. That's not going to uh, do much for people. That, that's just just me. Okay. I'm not trying to prove a point here, but um, but you're also improving the habitat. You're by planting a food plot. You're benefiting entire landscape and entire ecosystem. You're doing something above and beyond just the sole purpose of shooting something once. You plant a food plot. You're improving the situation for 365 days a year for so many different animals for so many different things. You might take one life off that, et cetera. So that might be another argument for the fact that they're different. Um, but if you want to say that you're changing something to bring deer in, and if that's the only thing you're looking at, then yeah, you could say that food plots and baiting are the same. You're not hunting just a natural, completely natural, unaltered pattern. What I thought you were going to say is that, um, it's a little bit different because the size. Well, that too. Well, from a disease perspective, if that's another thing you want to talk about. Yeah. I thought you hit me with that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. So, an issue with baiting that a lot of people talk about is you put something in a very small concentrated area that attracts a lot of deer to that same very small concentrated area. There's a higher chance of disease spreading like CWD, which is the big thing, of course, everyone's talking about. So because of that, a lot of states have banned baiting to try to reduce the chance of that spread. With a food plot, some people will say, well, it's the same thing with a food plot. You're pulling deer into an area, but it's just, it's different. It's it's a much larger space. You're going to have deer congregate around natural food sources anyways. So there's only so much you can do there. So if it's even if it's a quarter acre food plot, that's still resembling a natural feeding environment versus a one yard square section where you might have a pile of corn where you get all these noses touching yeah. all the saliva. Do any states come in? Is there any state that's banned or tried to regulate food plots? No. Why? Why? why what's up, Ryan? Yeah, I, I feel like Montana addressed that, didn't they? If you if you plant specifically to harvest animals on, it's based on intent, but I don't think you can do that. Really? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty I sure know, you can't. There's yeah. a lot of regulations with waterfowl. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like you couldn't yeah. grow corn, cut corn, and shoot ducks unless yeah. you have an agricultural reason to do so. Yeah, we were talking, and then we were talking about this not long ago that like you couldn't grow corn pick it scatter it on the ground right yeah and hunt ducks but in 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 places you can grow corn and leave it unpicked but you can't knock it and it's like you can't knock it down right but it's possible that you could grow it and never harvest it as long as you don't knock it down and weird yeah if if it if you planted it solely to attract animals then I don't think it would be legal in Montana based on 
But I could be wrong. So I maybe have to research no, you're, that. You're, it's, that's right. Like you said, it, yeah. it ba- it's based on the agricultural reason. And so like an agricultural reason could be I'm leaving that stand of corn because corn prices have fallen or the uh, moisture level, the moisture content within the ear of corn never got down to a harvestable percentage. Um, so there's reasons for again, yeah, well, screw it, just leave it standing, versus spending a bunch of gas to go out there and cut the stuff down. Yeah. When I will, when I will have no return on my investment. Now, Mark, um, can you define a food plot real quick? I guess a general definition would be some type of crop planted with the specific purpose of either attracting an animal to it and or supplementing nutrition. So that could be something like clover or kale or rape or soybeans or corn or winter wheat, anything like that. Are you, um, are you sensitive when people bring up the, the comparison of food plots debate? No, I don't care. I mean, I, I under, I understand the argument um, it doesn't hold water for me, but I get, uh, but even if it did, that's all right. You can, you can choose to see it that way. I'll, I'll do my thing. You do yours. I got another white tail deer thing for you. I got another answer. Well, Brody sketch sketch this deal out. Uh, so last fall in Pennsylvania, a, a uh, an archery hunter was, uh, he was hunting public land, had a bunch of trail cameras set up, was pretty familiar can with. You, can you pause one second? Yeah. Do you already? Do you already know what we're talking about? I don't. Really? Okay, go on, Brody. You should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it sounds like this guy's a pretty dedicated archery hunter for, for just from knowing you know what we've read about it. But uh, he's hunting public land, trail cameras. He puts an arrow in a, a pretty gigantic buck, especially considering it was shot in Pennsylvania, which is like a heavily hunted state. Yeah, you could call it a big, huge, giant buck. Yeah. On public land in Pennsylvania, it's impressive. And, and Pennsylvania's seeing more big bucks because they went to antler restrictions a while back. But either way, he sticks an arrow in this deer and does not find it. Um, it sounds like it may have been a questionable, sh- questionable shot. No one really knows. Either way, he doesn't find the deer. And 41 days goes by. And he finds, eventually, you know, he kept looking for the buck, finds the buck 41 days later. Archery season has ended. He may have found it during rifle season. I think he did. But but he puts his tag on a desiccated carcass that had been picked over by predators. The only thing that's left is the spine, the skull, and the antlers. Tags the uh, Tags the antlers. And... Eventually, word gets out. The guy gets the buck measured. Pennsylvania Game and Fish Commission confirms it as the new state record archery kill. What do you think about that, Mark Kenyon? <laughs> That's cool. Really? But uh, there's new state records in states like every year now. It seems like I can't keep track of but them. But that's all. not the question. But, yeah. Are you not getting the question? No, what's the question? Is, is it, does 41 days later. Is it an archery kill? Whoa. Is it a hunter killed record versus a found forty one days later? Ah, there yeah, is a place is in the a... record, and I don't know. I'd like to have this guy on the show. So you did, I would love a... to get this guy on the show to talk to you about this because here's like a meteorite could have fallen from exactly. the sky and struck that animal. 
41 yeah. days. But then when do you set the, where's the line? I don't know. So I don't know. Eight hours. Eight hours. No. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, if it was up to was me, it the, kill, like what killed it? Infection? Coyotes? Right. I mean, I, I, I have an interesting, I have a similar situation that happened to me. Me the, too. One of the best deer I ever shot. It was a poor shot, unfortunately. And then I, I found it. It was a what shot? A poor oh. shot. Um, but I thought he's going to die. So I searched and searched and searched and searched and searched. Never found him until I came back in February to shed hunt. And there he is right in his bedroom where he usually was. So, so do you act like you found, did you find it or get it? So the way I would describe it is that, uh, I killed him, but I always say I found him in February. So let's say that buck was a big giant record buck. Yeah. Would you turn it in as a record buck or would you look at it? on your wall and be like damn i made a bad shot on that buck so that i i found that i found i found his skull and his spine everything there got a salvage tag from the dnr brought it home and then a friend of mine had an extra cape he said hey man that this is a buck that kind of like my holy field deal i'd hunted this buck for two or three years knew him really well had been chasing this thing forever um and this whole thing happened my friend's like man you have so much like wrapped emotion wrapped up in that deer you should mount him i want to give you my cape so i thought about it i was like i don't know but in the end i decided to do it and i put it on my wall so that every time i walk past that thing i always think about never make that mistake again like never don't screw up practice more compose yourself like every little thing i have second guessed or thought through that i might have done did wrong on that evening now i rethink that yeah it's like and so it's your it's your totem of self flag how's that word flagellate flagellation self-flagellation flagellation yeah. so it's whooping like a, yourself yeah it's like a powerful it's a powerful representation of like what was a really painful like moment it was like a, a high when i i got that shot at this deer i've been after and then the mistake and then the so let's say a dude walks in and he's like, "Hey, you know what? Turns out that'd be the that's the new state record." Would you say, "Well, uh, no"? I'd say I don't know. I, I don't know where that line is. I, I definitely wouldn't try to promote it as a state record. I wouldn't have like turned it in to try to get it as a state record. Now this happened to my old man too, and it was not. I don't remember. It was enough days where he hit a deer out of his tree it was a nice buck especially for like that that era in michigan he shot a deer right below him and no exit wound weeks later my brother danny's walking out the rifle hunting finds the deer um and it hadn't gone far it, it, it's like it's still it was in the it went into a cornfield and we must have walked over it a hundred times, walked around it, even to the point where it was so baffling how we could have missed it that we entertained this idea that he had left and then days later came back. But then when you look at the placement of the arrow, that just that's, doesn't make sense. Uh, we just missed him, right? And I don't know, he found it weeks later. But he entered it He entered it in. If you went and looked, his like commemorative box of Michigan or whatever, his name's in there with that buck. And all he did, he took the head off it, had to go find a cape, I remember the winter we were out hunting rabbits. We dropped in to take a look at that buck, and I, there was a hole bored in the side of it from critters getting in there. And I looked in there and found a possum denned up in there. Pulled him out by his tail and took a – I still have a picture of me holding that possum <laughs> up by his tail. So he entered that buck in, and now looking at it – like when you're a little kid, you don't know. Yeah. You don't, now looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. You like you didn't really get him. Yeah. You found – it's like a thing you found. You didn't get him. It's a really interesting question though, because you – 
I guess it depends on like the shot. Like if you know that that shot killed that deer, but is 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 getting him meaning that the the killing of that deer and the 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 recovering of it in a certain time span, or yes. is it killing it and I mean. And then to your question, you don't know when that deer died. If it died the next day, or if it died then and you just missed it, or if it died a week later, but it was because of the wound. I hate I hate this whole conversation because the idea of wounding a deer and, and this being a long drawn out process is a, is a horrible thing to, have to talk about. Yeah, but it's the thing that happens. So I don't like it to is. act like it doesn't happen. It does happen. So I, what we do? I want to go. Okay, so picture this scenario that that you're the commander of the world. Yeah. And as commander of the world, it comes to you that you need to say. Uh, we're going to put a time limit on it. Yeah. I would say seven days. Right. Arbitrarily. Okay. Here, here's my thought. Can you hear me all right? Oh, yeah. I got right. you. Um, so I have a couple questions just to clarify because it's really going to decide on how he's well, – so if, if you're this, talking about okay. the deer, Brody's this, the resident expert. Right. So <laughs> this, this particular deer, maybe I missed this, but did that guy that shot that deer – like, say he shot that deer and he uh, killed that deer, right? But he doesn't – I don't know how long the season is. Maybe it's too short of a season for this to happen, but this could happen in Montana where if you if you don't recover your deer, it's not illegal to shoot another deer in many states. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's – I would consider it unethical. But if that guy shot another deer in that deer's place, mm. so he gets up in the tree stand, he shoots that buck, he doesn't find it in two days. He goes, ah, I didn't find it, right? Another buck walks by, he arrows that buck punches his tag and puts it on that deer or now i would say that guy can claim it if he like right thing goes i killed that deer he cuts his tag and goes i'm gonna look until i find that deer yeah you know what i mean if he was like diligent and goes i'm gonna look until i find that deer it's like all right he made a bad shot he reconciled it he cut he that's his deer he punched his tag on it now he looks for it and it took him six weeks to do it that really sucks but he put in the effort good on him he knew he killed it. That's his. But if he's like the next morning, oh, a little spiker walks by and he shoots it, punches a tag on that, and then finds that deer later. That doesn't I would say like it's the that, exact that's opposite. The, 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 that's not the, the, lad, the former version happened. It was the former version. I don't know if he hunted anymore. I, I, th- I don't know if he kept I, – I mean, he was out during rifle season when he tagged it, I believe. Hunt so, or looking? Well, who knows? Oh, I'd love to have this guy out for I mean, there's so many details you can't clear up, but he, you know, in order to register this buck for a record, he had to put a tag on it, and he tagged the skull, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, he went above and beyond legal and ethical obligations to find the thing, but if I was commander of the world, it would be like, you got to find that thing in order to register it, you got to find it in time to use the meat. That would be my cutoff. But like, well, <laughs> I, I I tend to agree. But again, let's say you get a hit, and you're like, man, not a great hit. I'm gonna let it go overnight. It's gonna get cool tonight. I'm gonna let it go overnight because I think that it's gonna give me a better chance of finding it than if I bump it. Right. And then Coyotes. you go out and coyotes got yeah. him. Yeah. So so there here's a guy, he's got like a whole plan, he's doing everything right, he goes out beyond his control, coyotes got it. Right. I would still say, I would say to that too, I'm like, you got it. Yeah. You got the buck, it's your buck. It's a hundred yards. It's, from it's your unfortunate tree stand. that that happened. You were probably aware that that was a risk. It probably rolled through your mind, 
based on everything you had going for you, um, everything that you were dealing with, uh, your buck. Yeah, yeah. I, I take back my previous declaration as commander of the world. I like Brody's better. I mean, in no, an ideal everybody, I want everyone to just to just put a timestamp on it. I'm going to say, as commander, I'm talking about God putting a gun to your head, and you saying, and He says, you have to tell me a time period, forty eight hours. Yeah, I like that with re- great reluctance. I would say forty eight hours because I do think that you know with that that meat aspect fits into that in most cases barring very warm weather that kind of yeah, stuff various snafus yeah but so maybe i'm just unfamiliar with pennsylvania rules or is it because it was a bow because pope and or i mean boone and crockett half the things in there most of the world records are pickup skulls well that's what i wanted to get so, into too like, explain what that explain yeah, that like the because new why world is record that button, yeah the but new why world is the record bu- bighorn sheep was found on that island out in flathead yeah. everybody knew i mean that sheep was pretty much a high fence sheep he's on this little island out in the lake and there's a million pictures of it and then that sheep dies and then the state of montana has the new world record yeah and i've been, you ever been like, on that island yeah oh well, i've been, been on it yeah, yeah, yeah you exactly. can walk around petting those sheep yeah so now and then now and then a bear a black bear will swim out there there's a bunch of fruit trees out there and now and then a black bear will swim out there when the fruit trees are in blossom so i imagine they do deal with some level of like the natural stress yeah. but you go out there yeah you just can go out there and sort of almost walk up and you know yeah so hang out with them so i guess i, I, th- I was like when i saw that that's the new world record i'm like okay well is the bronx zoo going to beat that record next could that's but what, that's that's the whole thing is it hunter killed or is it found and and pennsylvania like a lot of states and and boone and crockett they have different categories right like hunter killed animals and picked up animals even sheds right Right. So I think the question everyone's got about this buck is was it hunter killed or was it found? So my question my answer to that would be simple. When he walked out there, did he find it? Yes, he found it. There you go. Who? He would the guy. He would say so that he found it during rifle season. He didn't recover it. He didn't recover it during rifle season. He found it. You can't yeah, you can't recover something months later you find it. I mean, exactly ah. if uh you were to go missing in the woods, right? It's uh if I was dead, if I was or it's a recovery, right? If you recovered, Steve's chopped up carcass. Oh, felt, okay, I'm sorry. Can you can you uh, can you hand Phelps your uh, deal? So just the argument of finding it, like we use blood, we use tracks, we use broken twigs. So he didn't recover; he found it. Like Remy said, there's there's some key ingredients to to finding a buck versus recovering a buck. And yeah, so I would say he he definitely uh, found it. All right, but Jason Phelps, in the whole thing where you had to put an hour, like you you were forced to put a time limit on it, or else you're gonna get you know killed. Forty eight hours, but you have to look for it in all daylight hours up until that point. Mm. Like there needs to be some effort involved. Like when we, if you want to make a bad shot, there needs to be some effort involved. So four, two days, but you better spend those two days looking for it. Yeah, Mark Barman. Oh man, I'm gonna back up here a sec. Because there's a lot of twists and turns to this thing. So when, yeah, as they say, it starts to make its own gravy. It, that's exactly. So when he was, so when he, I'm gonna say when he found this buck, was he actively searching for it or did he stumble upon it? Don't know. That's why. Like, that's like, why I like to, to talk to Jason's him. point. Was he reading that sign? Was he, you know, going over there in his head like you know, like okay, I think he might have bedded here, yeah, was he laid in down the here. Act of looking. Well, was I, he in the I, act of looking? Know, he had exactly. Shot. 
he had shot the thing. He he knew it was potentially dead in the area, and I think it was a continual process of hoping he would eventually stumble across those antlers. Gotcha. So he wasn't in his hunter orange during the rifle season. I I, I don't know all the details. I you know, but yeah, I I mean, he was continuing to look for it. Um. But it's not it's not as if forty one late days later he was thinking he was hunting that buck. I don't think. Yeah. And to your point I mean, I mean, the odds are, right, that that buck died as a direct relationship to being hit with that arrow, but I also everybody's talking it could have been who knows. Well there's so many there's so many unknowns. Like you said, there's so many unknowns. That's a lot of time. Did somebody else put an arrow in that deer as it wandered by his stand and he didn't find it too? You know, I mean Yeah. Maybe caught a little EHD in the meantime. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's. You know. And I'm not trying to take anything away from this guy. No, man. I would like, I, I, like I know. said, I would love to. I would love to chat with him because I'd just be curious his perspective on it. Guys, uh, ears. Is, yeah, I'm not like do- I'm not like dogging on the guy whatsoever. No way. It just is a really interesting situation. It's yeah. I mean, it's a totally interesting topic. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator. To purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, 
working knives for working people. 10% off with the code Meat Eater. That's a good deal. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Here's another one, another perplexing one. And again, Mark, this has to this. Sorry, I'm sorry, but this comes down to Mark Kenyon. It's okay because whitetails are the most hunted species in North America. This so isn't white. Of tails. course, the attention should be on us. This isn't whitetails. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you a story? Someone, someone walked up to me yesterday and they said, "So get this, I was at a bar." Oh, this, a, you're, you're, this is someone telling you this. Yeah, someone's telling me a story. So I'm speaking as the storyteller. The storyteller walks up to me and says, "I was at this bar for a BHA pint night, and uh, he saw me wearing this public landowner shirt." The guy walks up to me and he oh, says, "I'm confused. Who are you being right now?" I'm the storyteller. You're you. No, no, no. Okay, I'll be you. I'm telling a story of a guy telling me a story of a story. So it's confusing. But you, you're me. Okay. Yeah. I am the person that I just talked to yesterday. No, I understand. Hey, Mark. Go ahead. I was at a pint. <laughs> I was at a pint night in the UP, and this guy walked up to me, and he was uh, he saw me wearing my public landowner shirt, and he says to me, "Hey, uh, you're wearing that public landowner shirt." It'd be really cool if you could get Mark Kenyon to come up here and talk about that kind of stuff. Or if you can't get him, maybe Steve Ranella. <laughs> I thought, man, all right, they got the ranking right. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like when Remy got to be the boss gobbler. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the first time that's ever been said. <laughs> okay, so, all right, this is, this is out of your comfort zone. But it's just something I heard from Brody that you just said. <laughs> really? Yeah, Brody, can you lay the groundwork again, Brody? I do what we were talking about last night. I don't. I mean, we spawning talked. We trout. talked about last. Oh, the spawning trout, dude! This is the most baffling. Okay, the other night Brody sends me an article, and it's a guy. I don't want to talk about who he is. It's a guy griping about. All right, it's so complicated. You can already this tell he's got an axe grind because he's griping about um, social media people. Okay, gear ambassadors. Gear ambassadors how they ruin everything, and they like to take pictures of big, huge, giant trout, and he knows the truth that they catch these big trout when they're spawning. And Brody, who's a guides catch-release trout fisherman, sends it to me, annoyed about the perspective on it, and Brody brings up to me, like, why is it that the whole world, everything they fish, everyone's always fishing to spawn? People travel great distances to fish steelhead when they're in a river spawning. You fish salmon in the river spawning. People plan trips to fish bluegill off the beds. You throw a jig into a bass bed. Yeah. 
Everyone fishes spawning fish. But all of a sudden, like trout purists have gone and said the, this whole huge history of people targeting fish when they congregate to spawn is unethical if it's a brown trout. And you agree with that. Oh, no, I didn't. I thought That's you what Brody were, told me. No, no, you, you, you Brody you got said a fight. That was un, it was an unethical practice. No, the way I was saying supposedly because I don't know. I'm just I just am learning this. So I just taught myself to fly fish over the last few years. So I've never really been a big trout fisherman until just recently. I was telling the crowd about this article I read, and so I was saying they were saying this is supposedly oh. unethical. And I was looking at you like, hey, right? I don't know. Brody See, must got, have been drunk. That's not what he no, told me. No, yeah, I, I got the impression that Brody you came kind up of to me. He's like, Dad, it was unethical. I was like, I was like, is that the case? I have no, I have no clue. So reading that, like, I would, I'm just fishing. I don't know. How, um, like, I don't get it. Callahan, please go ahead. Everybody's right and everybody's wrong. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we have certainly built up this hierarchy of species. That's nothing new. But there comes a point where, okay, so there's this river around here. It's called the Lost. Yeah. Tailwater fishery below, you know, below the dam. And there comes a point where you cannot hardly walk in that river, wade in that river without standing in a red, in a spawning bed. Okay. At the same time, the you know the water is eighteen inches deep, and you can see every single fish. I do not find it ethical to then go fish for those fish because you can you can drag them foul hook, you can hook them in the back and drag them off that bed or floss them. Yeah, and then they'll turn around and go right back to that bed and sit on it. So what's the problem? The problem is it's. I mean, it, that's not fishing. Okay, so when when a little kid, if there's when a little fishing, kid goes down to his mom's dock, not catching. When a little kid goes down to his mom's dock, and there's a dozen bluegill beds in knee deep water, and not only will they feed, but they'll aggressively guard their nest. And he lobs a worm into that collection of bluegill beds. Is he is he being unethical? I mean, come on. So I have a question. I, yeah, I mean, and this is the nature of this discussion, right? It's like, first of all, the stuff that you flatlanders do, I mean, who really cares, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> there's that. There's that. Right? So like the crappie, the bluegill, the bass, for some reason we have us as a Rocky Mountain West society have decided that that stuff just doesn't matter as much as our trout do. Um, and maybe that has something to do with like recovering populations. Yeah, but you're, yeah, but talking, you're talking about, about non-native like rainbows and rounds. Like, first of all, they're not disappearing anytime soon, and they don't technically belong in any of these. They're rivers. synthetic no, fish. They don't. They're they, synthetic they, fish. The purely synthetic fish. Uh, yeah, but so look at the the freaking pike minnow, right? The squawfish, squawkers. Yeah. No, those I will not mess with on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Completely native fish. There's a bounty on their heads below the Bonneville Dam. <laughs> yeah, they're in Colorado, they're endangered. You can't, like, you, like you know, so it's all relative. I did not know that. Yeah, they're endangered oh, wow. in Colorado. Yeah. People the are guy, chucking them on the banks The guy here. that wrote this article that, got, that we kind of all apparently read or got forwarded around was referring to Browns. Yes, that was so, in an, Colorado, an, an, right? an imported Wyoming. in Wyoming. Oh, Wyoming. This is where it a makes fish- more gravy, like Steve says. Well, how it read to me was as much as much as this guy was concerned with the ethics of ripping spawners off of a bed, he was more concerned with dudes from out of state coming in 
and screwing up the fishery that he guides <laughs> on. So it was like, well, I could have been out on that spawning bed making money, right? right. <laughs> you know, the the other the thing that I took away from it though was just the fact I thought the point he was making was how people are putting ethics or they're crossing lines to try to get famous like instagram famous he was talking about how more and more people are doing these huge photo shoots with every big fish because they want that huge photo and they want to be on the cover of whatever they want a free pair of sunglasses or something so you see people standing around for two minutes holding that fish out of the water or you see people in this case he said that they were going down a closed stretch of river. They knew it was closed, but they still went down it. They had to pass signs that said it was closed. I don't remember why it was closed That's, or anything. Th- okay. That's a different story. That's called poaching. So that he was making that argument, I thought, that but people the, were doing things like that to yeah, get but famous. The, the, the one particular media. fish in question was caught. I mean, this guy did all kinds of illegal stuff, but there is like a greater picture of just generally fishing for spawning trout being like something you should go to hell for. See, I thought he was using that as the story to illustrate the larger Yeah, well, okay, he I, wasn't I, the most masterful writer in the world. So I feel that he, he's got a few axes to grind. He's kind of in a grumpy mood. He doesn't like, maybe he's, I'm sure there's, he's going to hate this. There's probably like a fair bit of jealousy involved, a little bitterness, okay? And you put all these ingredients together and you get kind of a rant. And just as he's taking... He's talking about the influence of social media on fishing, and an example of that would be that that you would be so audacious as to catch a spawning trout to up your social media presence. Okay, as much as he's taking that little isolated example to prove a larger point, I'm doing the same thing he did when I'm plucking out one portion of this is is to say like to declare that you targeting a particular species of imported European fish. Um, during its spawn as being unethical, how how does that relate to all of the fish that we all sort of agree you do fish during the spawn? And has the gentleman that wrote that article, I, I'm, presumably if he's a fishing guide in Wyoming, he's a pretty seasoned angler. Presumably he's been up to Alaska or BC and fished a king in the river. Is there- who's there to lay his eggs. Her, her eggs. His, so I guess the, the difference is, is, let's say you have this catch-and-release fishery, okay? You then, the fish come up and spawn. They're on their beds. They get through the spawning process, but then they're guarding their beds, um, and they're not eating, but they're doing that aggressive behavior of knocking other fish off the beds. or And, uh, you know, when you're fishing eggs, sometimes they're trying to knock eggs off their bed, uh, other, other fish's eggs off their beds. And, um, there is a time of year where there's eight of us in this room. We could walk up that river and all eight of us could catch that exact same fish somehow, some way, cause it's going to go back to that bed and it's going to sit on that bed and it's going to do its job. And you know, we could stress it out to the point very easily where it's going to die. Okay. So why would that be allowed in this catch and release fishery where the point is to try to release them and let them get caught again? But if you're out there fishing, presumably not for those spawners, it's legal to be out there fishing and you're out fishing, not targeting those particular spawners. And you're pointing at the dude who is, 
but you're out there fishing and you're catching pre-spawn fish and you scoop up a female that hasn't spawned yet and she spews a bunch of eggs out in the net who like where do you draw the line like if you don't think you should be fishing for spawning fish then advocate for closing it all together right like nobody should be out there in that case yeah it doesn't matter if you catch them 10 days before they spawn or when they're on their bed i don't i don't think that's wrong yeah i mean i I think you are you're correct um yeah why we do not do that i do not know you want to know how we used to target uh spring bullheads you know bullheads like to spawn like a catfish yeah they like to spawn in cavities so busted up seawalls hollow logs and then they get inside and they turn around so their head's looking out to defend the nest we wouldn't even use a rod you just go around and dingle wrap some line around your hand and dingle a little cleo against his face and have him grab it to the point we'd sometimes dive down snorkel and mask dive down and then dingle it in front of him (laughs) (laughs) wow so that's like right now i'm looking and being like man that was so unethical but I just don't, I'm just not feeling it. Yeah. I, I'm not I, feeling the guilt. I think if you're going to try to eat the thing, fine. But, but if not, like, I, I feel like there should, it goes back to like, the, there's a reasonable, a reasonable chance of failure when you eliminate all those chances of failure by being like, okay, big fish, 10 inches of water. I can throw a rock in there. It's going to run away, but it's going to come right back to that at the exact same spot. Chances yeah. are, I can catch this fish. Like, yeah. I'm at what point is it still fish? I want to do, but maybe for the guy who only gets to fish a few days a year, and he's got to get a lot of social media. Yeah, man. You like, <laughs> you got to make it happen. I, I, here's, oh, go I, ahead. I got to jump in here because I grew up like Cal did fishing pitch pitchfork and spawning browns no. out of the <laughs> I mean you know trout stuff. fishing you know bass fishing wasn't a thing and it, I, maybe it's just regional because you just if I was in a lake right and there's a stream coming into that lake you'll see a hundred fishermen away from that no one will be going and fishing those those fish off their beds really it's like it's like well, why don't you just go so if a fish swims upstream why don't you just go pick it up yeah. And then, like, go take a picture with it. Like, is that fishing? Yeah. I mean, it's it's too easy. It takes out – you might as well just go, like, buy your fish or go, like, put them in a swimming pool because those trout aren't, like – I don't know. But when I first started bass fishing, I would never cast at a fish that was on its bed, ever. I didn't know that – I was like, oh, you just don't do that. Oh, we'd go get leeches and lay them on the beds. Yeah, I mean, now I do that because I understand <laughs> that that's how you fish bass. But I'm like, bass fishermen must just like have they just don't care enough or well, whatever. Those, it's yeah, different. Well, but those fish they all, are so sturdy. They're so yeah, sturdy. Yeah, you like trout are very fragile. It's like my parents or I grew up in this small kind of man-made private lake, and we stocked, and you could just see that trout die fast. It's very hard for trout to exist, and especially when you're talking in montana you're talking cutthroats or native fish if you see that fish on the bed you need those fish to have their a fighting chance now fishing other places like pre-spawn most of the fish that are on the bed they're waiting for those eggs that are laid a lot of those eggs have been fertilized right so though they already have that fertilization they're already 
ready to hatch. They're that further step from the fish that's just out in the deep swimming around. They constantly produce eggs. So for the fish that gets in the net, spews its eggs, and you let it back go, she's going to have just as many eggs tomorrow. Yeah. That's my No, I'm with you. Have, you. have you guys ever read Shadows on the Koyukuk mm. by the anthropologist Richard K. Nelson? No, but I will say salmon, they're going to die, so you can just scoop them out of the river. I don't care. That, that, no, that, that's another part of this. It's another part of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw – I feel like I've been living in a gray area with a million different caveats for so the last trout, hour. You're a trout angler. Yeah, I love to fish for trout. But I'm going to throw another twist in there that we are talking about last night. So where we live in Wisconsin, we have the Tribs that dump into Lake Michigan, which to my knowledge, by and large, the steelhead that return to those rivers – do not successfully spawn. Mm-hmm. And yet, from an ethics standpoint, many people say, I won't fish those, I won't fish to those fish that are on their reds. Even though it's an artificially supported fishery. Artificially supported fishery, and those fish aren't going to successfully spawn. You've got those kind of artificial fisheries all over the Great Lakes, where it's like, yeah, man, we we'll pound these salmon and steelhead while they spawn, and then the state stocks little six-inch molts, and it starts all over again, you know? Yeah. So what do you think of that? I mean, I just think it's in- I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm not really seeing a from a from a resource standpoint. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess you could harass that fish enough. Or to Remy's point, you know, if you caught it and stressed it out to a point that it maybe it wouldn't return to the lake, then you're you know you're down a fish, right? But I mean, there's like you know, oftentimes there'll be you know three, four, five, six fish waiting in the bucket right behind those spawners that guys are fishing to, and you know. 10 minutes later, that fish could be pushing up on a red, you know, right near in that same spot. So I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's a super gray area. And then to your point, like, Dude, so, it's so, grayer, all, so it's grayer and gray, man. So all of a sudden you're a kid. Well, of course I'll let a kid do that. Well, I mean, just like every little thing changes it, you know? I've seen it like it, it gets so bad in some places. We would go up and fish the North Platte River in April when the rainbows are spawning hard. And uh, the the uh, the local guides there would like if they saw you fishing to spawners they'd just like scream at you. But then those same guys there'd be like a hundred yard stretch of beds, and those same guys will float over top of those fish in their drift boat to knock them down into the next hole, and then they'll get out and fish for them. <laughs> <laughs> why? Here, here's kind of here's why I um. I want to get back to Richard K. Nelson real quick in a minute. But here's why I brood over the subject. Because um, the foundations, okay, the foundation of fishing is it was a food acquisition activity, right? Everyone accepts that, right? So it was like it, it comes out of a, it, it comes out of an interplay of, of life and death. And to watch a segment of, of, uh, to watch a segment of fishing become so civilized and so sort of mechanical where you're um, fetishizing introduced non-natives, you're establishing this whole other structure of it's like wrong to utilize these resources in a certain way. It's, it's no longer it, like... The goal of a, like with hunting and fishing, the goals used to be that you would study an animal, you, you would study it and find its vulnerabilities and exploit those vulnerabilities to some extent and timing issues. Like people like to hunt bucks during the rut because they, they don't act like they do 
normally. They, they lose some of their inhibitions. They travel more during the daytime. They're more vulnerable. And it's like a whole culture is built around exploiting this vulnerability. But to all of a sudden, to, to all of a sudden get to the spot where, where like this segment of the fishing world becomes so divorced from the foundational reality of what it is that it, that it sets up this whole other bizarre structure. I don't think it's wrong. I just look at it and I brood over it. It's puzzling to me. Uh, in Shadows on the Koyukuk, which is about the Koyukon people, um, Richard K. Nelson spent some time with them and they like to, they're den dig for bears. So their bear hunting method is you kind of get a sense. It's handed down generation to generation, all the bear denning locations. And knowing that a den doesn't usually get used twice in a row, you kind of like keep a track of what den might have a bear, and you go around the late spring, and that's how you hunt. You dig bears out. It's unethical to just shoot a bear walking around. Any person can do that. It takes a special man to go in and drag a bear up out of its den and kill it. Right? Amen. So <laughs> if you went and asked most people, if, you, if I went out to my buddies that I hunt with, and was like, oh, yeah, what I do, you know, I go down, I just kill him right in the den, <laughs> right? You'd be skewered as the epitome of unethical behavior. So it is, it's just like, in certain cases, it's so arbitrary. And there's so much baggage at play. There, absolutely. And, and I'm just thinking here, like, how hypocritical I am, right? Because I will not fish to that fish that I can see that I know is not going to move because like, I, I'm just like, well, it's a foregone conclusion, but when the water's all murky and muddy, and I've been telling you for years, how much I've been enjoying fishing for these smallmouth bass. Well, the reason they're so susceptible to flies, a fly rod is because they've moved up into their spawning area. But the difference is, is, you know, I'm fishing in eight feet of water that's murky and I can't see them. And so for some reason, that's the mental difference for me is the, you know, my percentage of being successful is in this, you know, reasonable area for me of, you know, it's still a game of chance in a way. Still feels yeah. mysterious. Sporting. Everyone has that though. I mean, yeah. Steve, if you like could have anything in your tackle box, would dynamite be your number one choice? <laughs> would you be like, every time I go fishing, I just throw a stick of jelly in there and blow them out no. of the water? No. You wouldn't do that. That's correct. You know, it's because it's guaranteed. It's like fishing for a trout on its bed is so guaranteed that it's not even sporting. It's like yeah. you're sportsman because you do it in a certain way. Whether it's legal or not, you've got everybody has their own code of ethics. And it's like, okay, what might be acceptable to one person isn't acceptable to another. But also, what are, what's the intent behind it? If your intent was, oh, I just want a picture of a big fish, light the dynamite, throw it in there, pull your big fish up, take a picture. You're like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I'm going to release it. I see what it. you're saying, man. I see what you're saying. I'm going to kill that fish, but oh, look, we swam away. <laughs> He's if, just in shock. He'll be all right. If I thought the question was that easy, I wouldn't have brought it up. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, I, like, I don't even really know how I feel about it, but it's a good point. It's a perfect topic for this time of year. I mean, I literally got a call, on I think, on Monday from a guide buddy of mine in Montana who's like, yeah, man, when are you coming up? Land of Giants. He's <laughs> like, we're going to go out there. He's like, feel kind of bad fishing them on the reds, but everybody else is. Really? 
Yeah. This is a conversation you just had. Just had. Yeah, I mean, it's that time of year. When I lived in the Great Lakes, we'd fish steelhead starting Thanksgiving, sometimes, depending on the water levels. Because so a lot of times, you steelhead would shoot up the rivers when the when the rain, the fall rains came, and steelhead would push up. But the whole time, the whole time, it was all just prelude. It was all prelude to the spawn. Mm-hmm. And sitting down there at dawn, and it starts to get light enough that you can start to see the the reds, the cleaning, you know, the spawning beds. You can start to see that golden, clean area. And all of a sudden, that gray shadow pulls across that thing. <laughs> the feeling of like, dude, yes, 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 yes. It is on. Right? The feeling you'd get, no one's there. You got the spot, and you see that just that little shadow come out on there and move away. Oh, my God. To have someone come and tell me that I was wrong, <laughs> I'm not open to it. Uh Okay, moving on real quick. Um, everybody's cool on that. Uh, Mark, again, Mark Canyon, another quick thing. I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> I'm getting beat so up. So your famous deer, your famous Holyfield deer, isn't dead. He's not dead. Okay, so if you listen to Wired to Hunt, um, you'll if you go back in the backlog, you hear that Mark's got this whole story of chasing this deer around, the same deer he sees. He's like basically roommates with him. <laughs> And, and but it's a mysterious deer, and 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 he's had opportunities in the past to get him and didn't get him. Then you thought he was dead, yeah. And then what? You just found his shed, and he's not dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. Last time I was doing a podcast with you guys, I was talking about how I had my missed opportunity at him and everything. And then like a month later, I think I was talking to you about ah, yeah. I heard from a friend of a friend that the neighbor shot a big one. This is the only, like, quote-unquote, big buck that I'd seen in the area for, like, three years, so it had to be that deer. So I thought, oh, yeah, he's dead. He, he disappeared off trail camera. I didn't see him, and times of year I usually see him after that. So, yeah, it kind of moved on. And then randomly— Oh, you mourned his loss. I don't know if I mourned his loss, <laughs> but I came to terms with the fact that this part of my of my life was done. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, like, late February, I think it was, I just was, like, I need to go get some fresh air, take the dog for a walk. So went out to this property, just thought I'd walk just kind of the outside little edge, just a nice little spot and snow on the ground. Wasn't looking for shed antlers or anything and just stumbled on some, I was in a nice little stand of pines and I just saw these, this crown of tines sticking out of the snow, pull it up and lo and behold, he's still around. There he was. I love it. It was exciting. It was awesome. It was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit bittersweet because a tiny bit of me was relieved when I'd like come to terms with him being gone. Cause like, yeah. all right, I can move on. Like I'm going to go hunt some different places. I'm going to do some different stuff. And I found like, Oh shit, I'm back to this again. So now your whole next year's <laughs> all planned out. You got to try to find this buck. Well, you know what I'm telling myself now is that I'm not going to do what I did last year. I'm not going to like change all my, I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket. I would love to finish this four year journey. Now I love to kill this deer. Um, but, I'm not going to let it like consume my life. It's not going to be the end-all, be-all. I'm going to do a lot of different things. Yeah, I'm going to hunt smart. Yeah, I'm still going to try to target that deer and see what happens. But like you said some number of months ago, maybe the way it's supposed to end is that I never do end the story and he rides off in the sunset. Dude, if it was a movie, 
fills a movie and you shot it, people would be bummed at the end of the movie. People, I told you, it should be like the movie The Golden Seal. <laughs> yeah, you did. did I tell you this? You We're did in the me. end. And then he got you mad. You get a chance. And he comes out. You guys lock eyes and you can't do it. You just drop your gun or drop your bow and start to weep. <laughs> and yeah. the buck, and it starts foggy and it's snowing and the buck like looks at you. And you guys, and he walks off. That's a movie. That is a movie. But in the end, the buck walks up and you kill him. Dude, no one's going to like that movie. People like conclusions, <laughs> Steve. They like things tied up in a nice bow. It needs to be like the end of the deer hunter. Well, I t- yeah, you, you got Did mad. Did I mention that too? Yeah, and then you got mad because I hadn't seen it. Have you seen it yet? No. You haven't seen The Deer Hunter? I still haven't seen The Deer Hunter. Oh but I did Mark see Borman? it. I saw it pop up somewhere. I was like, I should watch that. You haven't seen The Deer Hunter? My bad on that one. Please, anyone? Right here. Oh, yeah. Western okay. Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, you've seen it. Did but we, they're that, hunting. They're hunt- it, it's Red Stags. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. so much about that and movie. It, that, it's, a, yeah. it's a war movie, right? It's about yeah. The right one? So okay, it's yeah. it's it's a, some guys from Pennsylvania coal country, yeah, and then that steel high, country, the Highlands, Scottish stag runs yeah. across in the in the mist. It's a real problem in movies when you get to knowing too much about wildlife. <laughs> movies really start to let you down. The worst movie is The Reverend. Yeah, dude. Velvet bulls running across in the a, river in a in flooded burn. Yeah, dude, it was like <laughs> that. Uh, the deer hunter where it winds up it's like we're in pennsylvania steel country but all of a sudden it's a stag yeah it's terrible they then, leave at night and they show up in the morning and then, uh yeah last the mohicans it's a red deer yeah they just get you every time man i thought about just offering my services to movies i've legitimately told yeah just be a consultant anything that has to do with hunting it'd be a great job oh you know it just just for my, I'll do it for free. Just for my own viewing. Well, I wouldn't pleasure. say that, Remy. But, yeah. I'll tell you right now that I I have done some of that, and they do not care. They don't listen. <laughs> they do not care. Early on in my TV career, they're like, "Yeah, I get it, but we're not making reality. <laughs> we're not marketing this to hunters." <laughs> Early on in my TV career, I was trying to explain to a producer about the whole problem of not knowing what's going to happen next. And at one point, he grew frustrated, and he said, well, that's what animal wranglers are for. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to throw out my defense for not seeing that movie, though, because I do recall now thinking about it back in the day when video stores were like a big thing, you know, and going to get a video with and your parents. And you're always looking behind like, the curtain in the back corner. <laughs> <laughs> Little Marky, that's, that's, where di- are that's, you? that's a different story. Just looking for the back. But I remember begging. Like, I'd pass that one. It'd be on the shelf. And I'd like, that's the one I want to see. The Deer Hunter. I know I'm going to love that movie. Just, you know, going off the oh, title. It's deeply disturbing. And, and then my parents would be like, I don't think that's a movie for you. And, and, and then I just, I never, I never caught back up with it. I never, I never revealed that, that secret, but. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's stunning. I mean, it's it's a masterpiece. And I'm gonna check it out, guys. Guys from the you know, it's guys from Pennsylvania. Um, they go off to fight in Vietnam. It's Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro. One of them goes into the Green Berets. They meet up in a oh, like, then the, the whole Russian roulette. It's just like it's horrible. <laughs> it is horrible. But there's some there's a reckoning like what Mark will eventually have with Holyfield. <laughs> there's a reckoning in the end where the deer hunter finds his deer and cannot do it. Um, it on a related note, Mark, uh, what's, uh, what's rolling with you guys? Like at vortex, Man. you got a whole big brand new building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest deal. I mean, that's been definitely a long, a long process and yeah. Kudos to everybody that, that worked on that project. So yeah, we recently, uh, got moved in, got settled. 
So now it's not Middleton, Wisconsin. Not Middleton. Yep. So we're 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 close, fairly close. I mean, not too far away, um, in an adjacent community called Barneveld. and it's, yeah, it's a really cool town, smaller town, a little bit, a little bit more rural. So um, not as many sandwich options. Not as many sandwich op- options, but uh, it's good, man. I think it, I think it's actually it's, it's forcing me to eat healthier because you know you bring a good lunch every day. So so when we were hanging out there though, uh-huh. and we went to where you guys were manufacturing uh-huh. the. What's the line of scopes that you manufacture that you're manufacturing in the one we went to look? So right now it's the Razor, the Razor HD AMG. What happened to all that stuff? That stuff moves? Yeah, I moved. Which is a big process in and of itself. Just, you know, I mean, I mean you you hire a company to like take that on and I mean that's what they specialize in is 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 moving equipment like that. And I wasn't super close to that process, but I know I know it was a process. Did they give you a humongous office? Like I've a giant got, corner office. I I probably have the sweetest cube in the world. You got a cubicle. Yeah. Did you look out your window recently and tell me you saw some birds, or is yeah. that someone different? That was you. I mean the the so yeah I'm on I'm on the second floor and actually the the whole building. I mean when you guys come by, I mean you'll see it. I mean it it, it really is a you know an engineering masterpiece. But uh, um, yeah, I mean good windows, good light. Yeah, we 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 look out uh, on on the on the. I guess the front of the building or where you would enter the, the building uh, backs up to uh, Nature Conservancy. So, huh. yeah. You got Do you feel that it would be unethical if you shot one of those turkeys out of your second-story office building? I do. Out of the second-story office building, yeah. I'm probably, probably not going to take that shot. But I've been thinking about that, though, lately because, I mean, we've been seeing them. They're, you know, they're, they've got some regulars that come by, and you get to know them. Not get to know them, but, I mean, you see them regularly. And I'm like, man, you know, like, I just don't think, and again, it goes into those like ethics, not ethics, but just like those gray areas of, if I was just to be turkey hunting in general, and I came upon a turkey, I'd probably shoot that turkey. Well, I don't know, because that, that's the thing. Are you raising your hand, I, Remy? I'm ra- I have to say. Oh, this is like grade because school. Go, Remy? Like grade, there's so many people in here. It's like, <laughs> you can be talking over 13 people knowing what's going on. Okay. This is what I don't get, though. Your thing with the trout on their spawning beds. Why can't you shoot a turkey in a tree? It's because it's wrong. I would. That's how. <laughs> if it's legal, I would yeah. shoot every Turkeys turkey in a tree. Here's Turkeys how you turkey hunt. Forget the calls. You sneak up to the bottom of the tree in the dark. As soon as shooting hour starts, you have a little beeper on your watch. It goes, dee, dee, you yell, pull. And when that turkey flies out, <laughs> shoot some double up butt shot. As a young man, <laughs> as a young man, I attempted something like that. And it, did not, it, it, it did not work. My question is: Is are those turkeys spawning? <laughs> they are spawning. They're, why can't you shoot a turkey? Turkeys in the are roost? different. No. Turkeys are different. I, I, I disagree. Turkeys are majestic, noble. No, here's, this is where the whole thing falls apart. Here's where the whole thing falls apart because I do believe that there is a right and a wrong way to get a turkey. See, I just can't go. <laughs> I just cannot. I will never in my life be talked into that. I used to be a bushwhacker. I used to bushwhack them. And now, um, now I'm like uh, a purist. Saul, is it Paul? Who, is it, who's, who's up on their Bible learning? Who, got, who gets blinded on the way to, to Damascus, Saul or Paul? If not one of you guys knows this. It's really? Saul. Gets blinded on the, yeah. So I had my Damascus moment um, where I stopped bushwhacking turkeys. See, everyone that goes, oh, turkey hunting's so hard. I'm like, hand me the shotgun. I'll show you how hard it is. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. You're, you're, dealing with, you're dealing with a different grade turkey. 
Okay. You're uh, hopping there, ducks one versus way. decoying ducks, right? Yeah, yeah, but I like to jump ducks. I like to jump ducks. But it's not as cool as decoying them. It's but just, and there's so much more the stuff and so much more <laughs> effort to decoying. But um, you would never shoot a duck on the water. Or would he's you? Like, not true. Not, <laughs> not true. Not true. I have been in situations where, and there's a very good argument to be made for it, where I've been with people who said, listen, uh, I put a lot of time and effort into selecting my spot and camouflaging myself and putting out my decoys and calling, and I'm hunting a high-pressure area, right? If I can do everything so right and trick the bird so much, because it's supposed to be like, oh, I only kind of tricked him where he passed over, and then I shot him. But I went through all the work to fully trick him to the point where he landed in my spread. And it's like, oh, you're too good. You tricked him too much. You've now forfeited your right to shoot the duck. So some guys will be like, well, I'm going to now jump it up. Right. So now you're like, if you put yourself in the duck's position, okay, where I say to you, Brody, I'm going to kill you. Now, I could just shoot you in the head right now, or Make I'm going to shoot you in the leg and then run around and chase you and beat you over the head with a gun. What are you going to pick? I'll take the quick one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but that's a perspective. Shooting them on the water, I think, is less effective. I've done it, it plenty you know of times. It you know why? No, you can't break their wings. They exactly. They dive. It's, it's almost more you jump them up so you know you'll kill them. Because then you, you, he's – yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I've seen some, you know, not that I was, I don't want to say I was on the trigger, but I have seen some real, <laughs> I have seen some on the water gimmies where everybody's kind of like, how in the world did that not work? Right. Yeah. You almost that, have to aim below them. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I want to get back to Mark from it though. Um, what, uh, lay out for like what's going on with new products and whatnot with you guys. So yeah, man. Um, Earlier, I was talking about getting a little chub about turkeys. Is there anything I should be getting excited about? Man, we got some new binos that are super sweet. That'd be good for turkey hunting. Like, how does it fit? Like, what is what you got coming out? How does it fit in? I mean, they're new. So we just, like, like three weeks ago, we released our new, I guess, our new generation of the Viper HD binos. Um, so if, if anybody's familiar with, like, the original Viper HD series, this is kind of a next evolution of those. And... I mean, I guess for me, how it works in a turkey hunting is you should always have a set of binoculars, whatever you're hunting. I had to get, you know what? The other day, my buddy Tommy Edson was like, do you bring binoculars turkey hunting? I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, I bring. Because I like to look at stuff. Yeah, bring binoculars, everything hunting. Yeah. I'd be annoyed. I mean, and I have forgot my binoculars before, you know, you're getting out of the house early in the morning and you, it's like forgetting your cell phone. It's like your, it's the cell phone of hunting yeah. equipment. Even though I guess cell phones are kind of part of our hunting equipment now. But, but you know what I'm saying you're always checking your pocket. Yeah, I bring them with. Yeah, you have it. Yeah, use it. Keep it. Keep it all the time. So they're that. I mean, that's uh, optically they're a step up. Uh, form factor is awesome. They're a little bit more compact. So yeah, what are they like when it when it comes to are they more? They're, they're less money than the razors. Yeah, so they'd be kind of like a tier tier below the razor. But I mean, they're they're solid bino. They look good. Mm-hmm. So I'd say I, that that's the bino that I would suggest even before and now. Like a person who has a need for kind of who uses their optics in a manner where they kind of have that need for top tier optical performance, but maybe don't have the budget to take on, you know, a top tier bino like the Razor HD. You know, you can fall back into that Viper HD and you're still getting a, a very very good optic for your dollar. Yeah. How do you guys when you're picturing all that, man? Um, like with the do, do do people call up and uh 
do people call up and like express bafflement about what how stuff like why binoculars and stuff are so expensive or is it just kind of like people just accept now that it's like a thing that costs money it was difficult like i always talk about in one of our guidebooks i wrote about guys that roll up in fifty thousand dollar pickups with twenty twenty dollar binoculars i'm like you got it all wrong bro you know i mean I i think that still happens you know and i think and we've talked about this before but i mean i think it takes somebody having having that optics epiphany, you know, when they, when they really see what it's about, you know, and maybe they use their buddies, you know, really good binos or something like that. And then, you know, they're like, Oh man, I need to get a set of those. I can tell you my epiphany. Do you know my epiphany? I think we talked about it before, but yeah, what was it? We were hunting on the, uh, years ago. First time everyone out there, we're hunting on the North slope of the Brooks range. And there's a grizzly coming up the other side of the river from our camp. And I'm looking at it through my binos. And that looked at my buddy's binos, and he had just he had just spent a season packing moose on the Alaska Peninsula, and the guy gave him a set of souped up binos. And what I'm looking at was just like this amorphous brown blob walking up the other riverbank, and I look through his, and I can see that the that there's like the wind's blowing, and it's forming these little cowlicks in the bear's hair. And I'm watching this like cowlick kind of move around on its rump with the breeze blowing on it. And I'm like, I can tell you what I'm going to be saving up some money for. Yeah. It's like actual binos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if a, and, now, and since then, now I'm just like, I'm just addicted to looking through them. Well, and I think that you, when you get used to having something like that in the woods, like if you haven't been using binos, if you haven't been carrying them, which I think. I'd say by and large, like a lot of people do now, right? But I think maybe it's less common, you know, even, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever. Um, I'm throwing a very non-concrete timeline on that. But um, once you do, I think you realize, like, what you've been missing, and you just, yeah, you can't get enough. You, and then you, you realize how important they are and what you can do with them. Like, you can look at stuff, you know, and whether you're tree stand hunting in Wisconsin or you know, who's deer hunting in Arizona, man. I mean, it's, it's an important piece to have for sure. You hang out with uh, bubbly Doug Dern. Mm-hmm. I was hunting with Doug one time and we walked up in what he calls the big woods up by the wet spot, which are the two great names for bars. Um, and we get by the wet spot and I just like take my binos and scan through the big woods and glass up mm-hmm. the tippy, tippy top of a turkey fan. Never in a million years would it, we'd have walked in and spooked it. Glassed up that tippy top of a turkey fan, and we sat down and killed that bird. Maybe an hour later, yeah, never would have never would have found that turkey. No, I mean, you, yeah, you wouldn't have killed that bird without those binos. No, I was kind of like when I saw it, I was like shocked by what I was looking at. Yeah. I think it's like a super important thing. And that, I mean, that's I mean, that's just you know a good example of of one tactic, right? You know, when you're creeping into that field, you know, stay back, glass it, you know, before you expose yourself and blow the whole thing out you know and you guys obviously saw something got an opportunity and capitalized on it remy go ahead oh no i was just adjusting myself (laughs) okay i I got uh (laughs) sorry another thing like speaking of how it's talking about that there should be a bar called the wet spot which we've discussed before a guy wrote in to say like if there was a bar called the bearded hen would you go into it (laughs) and he also was wondering this is a good question would most states you could kill like most states, a legal bird is a bearded bird. One in 100 hens is bearded. Roughly. I think it's like it depends on the areas and whatnot. Um, 
Would you shoot a bearded hen? Ask Mark? me that question. Would you shoot a bearded hen? I've got one mounted on my wall. You shot a bearded yeah, hen? Yeah, shot a bearded hen. And you knew you were shooting a bearded hen? That's a good question. It was fall. I don't, I don't oh. know. Yeah, it's just like beard, boom. Gotcha. Exact same. Minus the mounting. You shot a bearded hen? Yep. Really? Yep. Well, now that these guys have broke the ice, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know it's a My safe name's space. My Mark Fordman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I rolled a bearded hen in uh, the yeah, spring. In, like- in the spring, but I called this bird in, and you know, and it's kind of you know doing this turkey stuff, and little beard poked out. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then, so you're like, it's a female. But it's got a beard, so it's legal. You know, I mean, at the time, it was happening pretty quick, but I saw that beard, and oh. I let it rip. And, and I don't know, I can't say that I necessarily... I mean, in the fall, I think it's a little bit different because they're, you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happened. See, I think it's wrong. I, See, I, I identified... <laughs> <laughs> I want to clarify, I have never shot a turkey out of a roost, but I also don't think it's wrong, just in case I'm, I'm backpedaling. But I have no... Qual- you can kill... A turkey with a tack hammer in your backyard. It's a barn animal, man. You can do it any way you want. No yeah. rules with turkeys. I'm, I'm, I generally fall under a state's, whatever the state defines as the regulations. Yeah, yeah. you know what Aldo Leopold said about that? No. Uh, ethics is doing the right, right thing, thing when nobody's when no looking. one is watching, even when doing the wrong thing is legal. Oh, my God. I'm not saying it's wrong, wrong. It's not wrong, wrong, but if I was hunting and I, I was hunting spring golf, spring turkeys, and I and I and a hen came in with a beard on it, I would not be able to. This is coming from the man who would who would pitchfork browns out of a <laughs> drainage ditch. I would not be able to harm that female turkey. I don't believe. Last day of a long hunt, and there's a bearded hen. I don't know. W- would you go into a bar? named the bearded hen with a level on, of uncertainty yes would you bring your wife into a bar called the bearded hen absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way i would go in <laughs> did you know rocket money can cancel a subscription for you they'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater i want to tell you about an american-made success story and black buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches black buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use black buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip but they understand the convenience and discretion modern day consumers are looking for black buffalo's nicotine pouches 
give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Um, all right. Uh, we've got a lot of concluding thoughts, lots of concluding thoughts to go through. Um, we'll start with, uh, Brody. Oh man, I'm just excited. Turkey seasons. Uh, I'm not there for the opener, but Colorado opened today. So I'm, I'm stoked to get back and go chase some turkeys and shoot them out of trees with a nail gun. (laughs) That's how you you do it this year. (laughs) What's that? What is your, what is your actual like uh, turkey hunt plan? Well, I got two tags. I drew a tag and I got an over-the-counter tag. So I'll hunt the draw tag first and then let all the guys clear out of the over-the-counter areas. And then get after Get after a couple weeks later, yeah. My brother got both his turkeys today, I think. Or, oh, wow. Yeah, just watch and say, yeah, he just did a trip and got two turkeys. So he doesn't like stretching the hunt out? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in some places you can't do that. On, on the same day. You know yeah. what I saw the other day? In Arkansas, you're not allowed to shoot jakes. What in the spring season? What? Yeah, that's wrong. It says God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's immoral to make. Talk about bearded <sighs> hens. You can't shoot a Jake. Well, you know, we're going to Missouri tomorrow, and I've been trying to weigh out in my head. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna hold out for a long beard, but at what point do I, as my brother says, put the Jake brakes on one? Well, that's what's nice about having two tags. You can, you know, 
you can focus on the big boy and take a Jake home. They banned shooting Jakes in the spring. I just stumbled across it, you know, looking at the, the like on Arkansas yeah. website, and they posted their regs and no Jakes. Uh, for you uh, listeners, a Jake is a it would be a one year old turkey, and he doesn't have spurs yet. He's just got little round nubs, and his beard is like an inch or two long. And I'd have a few more unpunched turkey tags if it was illegal to kill Jakes. Yeah, for I sure. would never shoot a Jake. The audacity! <laughs> <laughs> That's where I draw the line yeah, in the roost with his nail gun. But he's like, yeah, I, I only go, I can only go so low here. A, a man. bearded, <laughs> a bearded hen. That's one thing. That's just weird. But a Jake, you know, he doesn't even have a chance to breed yet. No, they don't. You they, monsters. His fan, <laughs> his fan's not totally tricked out. No, he can't do a real rip and gobble. Uh, was that that's your concluder? Yeah, Brody? yeah. Mark Kenyon, been in the hot seat. Yeah, uh, you know this is my first BHA rendezvous I've been at. We haven't really talked about like where we're at here and what's going on, but I think my concluding thought is just what an awesome group of people that's here at this event. I mean, the energy has been really impressive. The relative youth has been surprising and impressive. Not maybe not surprising, but I think compared to other events you go to within the hunting and fishing world it's it doesn't look like this um so that was encouraging to see and um stoked about it. it's just you get a lot of excitement in a group like this for the future of what we're doing here in the hunting and fishing and conservation world and the future's bright when you look at this group yeah it's kind of stunning to see pictures of the group and the age demographic defies the norm i remember not too long ago i read that um in Michigan, the average age of a person who buys a trapping license goes up exactly one every year. <laughs> Which is <laughs> old Ted. <Yeah>. Still at it. <laughs> it was harrowing. Uh, Remy, can we talk about how you're off the market? Oh, yeah. So all those ladies locked. What, what's down. that ring made out of? I don't know if I could throw woolly mammoth ivory. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. It's not yeah, legal woolly mammoth ivory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, is there, I don't know, is there, now there's like a big thing they want to ban mammoth ivory because it's becoming like replacing elephant ivory apparently. Oh, you know, know, a lot of it depends on where it was found. You yeah. Know, private land, public land. If yeah. it's found on private land, it's like, exactly. have at it. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of, you know, uh, Brody, were you just sending me that article? I think you did. You know, uh, are you familiar with, the Lacey, I guess we're at the Lacey Act. Oh, yeah. So for a listener who isn't, and I, you're excused if you don't know the Lacey Act. The Lacey Act is one of the things that allowed us to, you know, back in the early 1900s, the Lacey Act is one of the things that allowed us to start putting an end to market hunting, which was decimating wildlife populations, is it uh, makes it a federal offense to move Ill- like illegally obtained wildlife across state lines. So if states, states might have um, lax rules governing wildlife, but the Lacey Act allows you to make federal crimes out of moving things around. And someone was just showing me an article where, and this is kind of perplexing, they're using the Lacey Act to go after people smuggling dinosaur bones. So here you're taking an animal from 65 million years ago who has a fossilized bone and using a contemporary wildlife trafficking law to, to <laughs> it's a novel approach, man. I don't yeah. know if it, how well it will hold up in court. 
I yeah, it's know. not recognized as wildlife. Yep. When I called Alberta first fishing game, when I found that uh, buffalo skull, they it was only a couple hundred years old. Yep, I said, "Great, buffalo is not a recognized game species." Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, do whatever you, find, you want with it. You find some mineralized, like when you find a dinosaur fossil. It's right. rock. <laughs> it's right. Yeah, it's it's rock. just a weird deal, man. Yeah. It's a weird deal. But weird. what they're looking for there is uh, where it was applicable is there's a lot of people like right now everybody goes to Mongolia for dinosaur fossils. It's like the new, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like New Mexico in the 1930s, right? It's just like, it's not picked over yet. People used to just see it and disregard it the same way, you know, people would, used to not pick up Indian arrowheads and all of a sudden you get enough time and separating the two events and it starts to become something noteworthy so there's people like looting all these and there's not much enforcement in mongolia so there's people looting all these dinosaur fossils out of mongolia and bringing them into the u.s and they're using the lacy act to go after people with it which i thought was an interesting approach uh but remy your concluder you're married Does oh, it yeah. feel different yeah it feels good I think it should feel different a little bit, you know. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I'm excited about it. It's a great wedding, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Also, uh, one of my final thoughts, everyone will think that I hate on turkeys. Mostly it's just for fun. It's fun to hate trout. It's fun to hate trout. It's like one of those things. It's like I can pick the turkey guy that's a fanatic about turkey and just go after him only because I think I've got that turkey hunter distaste from guiding in montana or guiding elk hunters so much and these guys coming in going oh yeah elk hunt no i've, I've got it it's just like turkey hunting <laughs> <laughs> i'm like nah sorry i've been turkey hunting it's nothing <laughs> like elk hunting calling the two they, they make similarities doll sheep hunting it's a lot like turkey hunting <laughs> <laughs> i think what I think of turkey hunting as being like a little mini elk hunt because it's like it does have this, right? That there's a male and he has this audacious noise he makes. And then there's a female and she has sort of a more a more tempered kind of calm version that she makes and you're using the one to bring in the other. And you sit up on a high spot and you're praying to hear a gobble just like you're praying to hear a bugle. If I was yeah, but it's like saying elk hunting is a lot like, well, then turkey hunting is a lot like pigeon hunting. You're like, yeah, I would never say it. Right. I think Yanni does say it. I, say it's just, the I turkey hunts like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. But I see where they're coming from. <laughs> I get it. But it's also, in my mind, two completely different things. Yeah. And if anybody that has said that to me while I've been guiding them learned within a few minutes, that it was not the same. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's a go blank, up this a, mountain over here. A blanket here. statement of saying the hunting of the two is similar, I would say that that's pretty false for yeah. obvious reasons to anybody. But I think when you start talking about interacting and calling animals, there aren't any other animals that I've hunted anywhere where where you call and interact with like that. And I've done a little bit of duck hunting now. But that's, just, not gender, that's not gender specific. What? Calling ducks isn't the same thing, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's the same thing at all. You know, even though a lot of people get into that interaction, but it's still not like you're not playing the hen or the cow and trying to call in a bull, or you could play the gobbler or another bull and call in a bull. Yeah, ducks um, don't come in with your lips. Terrain out. similarly to you know to bring the animal over a roll to come see you know you making that call. 
I mean, you do those same two exact tactics. I'm feeling you. From I, now I on, Remy, that. this fall, he's going to be like, you know what? It's a lot like turkey hunting. It's a lot like turkey hunting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to disagree, but now I agree. Um, Cal? Uh, I don't know. I mean, all all good things. That fish deal, man, we've been over that a million times in similar circles on uh, fishing fish off their reds. And, yeah, it's a... It's a real interesting one. Um, and Can I add something to that? Yeah, kinda, please do. I didn't have my headset on earlier, or I didn't have a headset, but uh, it's kind of like the uh, stocked pond. You can make an analogy with the stocked pond, right? Yeah. Like fishing the reds, all of us probably that would ethically like kind of not do it now for trout, or just whether it's ethics or you're just kind of like whatever, it's too easy, it's fishing a bucket. The first time you went and did it, you were probably like, holy shit, <laughs> this is fun, you know? Like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. And then the second or third time, it's kind of like going back to this stocked trout pond the second or third time. Yeah. Like, yeah, all right. See, that's the thing. That's why I feel a little bit of guilt is because I remember <laughs> um, hearing about and really like exploring and trying to find the mythical brown trout spawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because this is before it was a bad thing. I remember people, like, I remember reading in, like, guidebooks, you know, good areas to go look for spawning browns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and, also probably could find guidebooks that told you how to, you know, blow up Canada geese off dams by packing <laughs> buckshot around dynamite sticks, too, you know what I mean? Build yourself a can. <laughs> what you're going to need. Uh, so that's your concluding thought? Is you just wanted to touch back on something earlier? Oh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll just say thanks. Love these discussions. That's good. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess also absolutely blown away at how much this BHA rendezvous has grown. It's crazy. We had those seminars this morning. Nuts. And asked, uh, I got to <laughs> I gotta introduce uh, Remy for his Q&A um, and uh, be the moderator for mm-hmm. it. But asked uh, out of the gate how many people is this year uh first rendezvous and i mean it had to have been over 50 percent of that room i thought it was even more like 80 plus percent the f- it, and there was a I don't, how, there's a lot of people in there surprised me seats 400 so and that had to be wow. over three i think yeah yeah the first one i went to was probably six or seven years ago and it was at the fairground in missoula <laughs> and i gave a talk to like the dinner thing and uh most maybe 150 people yeah yeah it, it so it's growing like crazy and i think mark you're spot on man i mean the youth is so encouraging to see it's the youngest um kind of rod and gun anything i've been around so um pretty neat to see hopefully uh make it some impacts i think as far as uh there's lots of talk today um and the last couple of days really about, uh, you know, how we move the needle as far as new hunter recruitment and hunter retaining re- retainment. And, um, just like, like Remy said many times this morning, it's like, we got a, every single person is an ambassador for what we love to do. And we got to do a hell of a lot better job putting a better face on it. So yeah, it's been a cool, uh, Cool couple of days so far. Mr. Phelps? 
Yeah, so this is my first uh, BHA rendezvous. It, it's been awesome. Um, you know, one thing that's kind of opened my eyes is I'm fairly conservative. I come from a logging town, and then you kind of show up with people that maybe you don't see eye to eye with, but we're all here for the one thing that we love. So they're like, less taxes. You're like, more yeah. tax. And, and I'm going to make a funny joke, you know, like the, the shiny puffy coats. I kind of make a joke. Like at home, I'm the guy in a fleece because that's old school. But you, I'm, I'm like, I've never been around so many hunters in a shiny puffy coat before. But it's cool because you can take that. And, and we're all here for the same reason. We all love to recreate on public land. We all love to hunt and fish on it. And for all of us to come together um, as a group of people with the one passion and be laser focused on public lands is is awesome. Um, yeah. And I do want to... Do you feel that this... Can you check this out? No, it's got, a first, it's got a first light. You're Can good. Can you check it out? That, like, parts, <laughs> part of my jacket's a little shiny. No, no, you're good. I just want us to be fighting good. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Remy's, Remy's a jerk for shooting turkeys out of a tree. You agree with that? <laughs> um, <laughs> How about bearded hens? So there's two sides. Like, and then we didn't, you guys didn't even really get into like the genetic mutation side of it. Like, maybe we should get those things out of here. Are they bad? I don't know if it's bad. I've just heard that side of the story. Like, it is a genetic mutation, and we should shoot those things. Well, I would out. say that if, if without genetic mutations, um, I feel like life would have ended a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't specifically target one if one came walking through the setup, and I knew it was a bearded hen. I'll probably let it go. But it's, it's, it's one of those things where you know I'm not going to pass my my own belief on somebody. You know, if you want to shoot it, it's within the state laws. And that's kind of gets back to the, the fishing thing. Um, you know, where, where Cal doesn't want to fish over, over the reds, but then maybe my kid does, cause that's a different experience. And so I don't necessarily say we want to put laws that, that, you know, cover that or blanket it for everybody. But then, you know, he's out there for the sport and, and, uh, you know, the uncertainty of, of hooking up one where like me taking my kid, maybe I don't want to do that, but I want to have the ability to take my kid and hook up to that fish. And so I think there's a, and you know you got to look at it through that scope of of who the person is, and um, you know take take it for what it is. When you were talking earlier about uh, like political spectrums, do you feel that uh, do you feel that that people right who who lean politically right and people lean people who lean politically left? Do you see like in your community? that people coalesce around the idea of supporting public lands or in particular like supporting federal land management agencies and sort of assisting them and, and you know, giving them verbal support and, and helping them, you know, make decisions that, that allow access. But, you know, do you, do you feel that there's that people are coming around this idea in your community, or do you feel that it's a divisive issue in your community? So I live in, in a logging. In a I live logging in the town. dead center of warehouser country. You know, the biggest land manage, manager in the state of Washington. And so we don't. There's a very select few of us that that have to travel two hours to the east to recreate on you know some federal lands. Um, we have some state owned lands and stuff. But so I would around home. It, it's more of interest on like how warehousers managing, not necessarily on on the. Because you guys land. are recreating on publicly accessible land that's privately owned. Well, now as long as you pay three hundred fifty bucks, you get a key so yeah i bought a hundred dollar yeah. pass for walking yeah yeah so you can do that yeah i mean everybody everybody finds it important you know anything that that um you know affects them and their recreation and people are passionate about yeah. so we don't get a big push in my area for public lands besides a few of us that that you know routinely drive two hours east to i recreate. see what you're saying i got so, you. so when you're when you're hunting local you're hunting warehouse yeah, yeah. warehouser or Pub, yeah. privately owned industrial that allows public, which yeah. yeah and that's like 
that too is a significant thing. Yeah. I think that, that that's a I think people look at the public lands debate and, and groups like BHA that really support public lands. And I think other people kind of have this question, like, like our friend Doug, who's very involved in private land conservation. And he'll kind of feel like, he, he doesn't really say this, but I think it sometimes he feels like, well, why all of a sudden all this attention? Like most land in the country, especially in the East, most land is private land. If we're going to get serious about conservation, we have to pay a lot of attention to private land conservation. That's where real, con- that's where some of the most important conservation work. But, I, you know, I would say to him, um, and I do say to him, but but there's not an emptiness there. I think that we have stuff in place to try to do that, like f- farm bills, CRP pr- programs. I mean, there's a lot more dollars per acre that, that, that go into private land conservation issues. But I think he kind of feels that um, there's a sort of lack of sexiness around all that, just like the, the work yep. and of, I, of doing good wildlife work on private land. Yeah, And, and I think like the, there's this third area too, which is these sort of almost like wilderness type places, these big tree farms which are the size of, they own land the size of national forests that are you know, privately held. Yeah. And there's a conservation question to have there too. And also like giving them, some, giving them the credit of allowing a public access program. They're not making tons of money on public access. Yeah, no. And I, I think it comes back, and, and maybe I'm a little off here, but it comes back to the reason we're so passionate about public lands is all eight of us in this room can end up at some wilderness in Colorado hunting. And so we are... Um, all concerned about the conservation on that piece of public land where a private land in Iowa, I have this much interest in it because I'm never going to get a hunt there, even though I do care about the species. So I think it comes back to a little bit of that selfish nature that all of us in this room can take it, not take advantage, but we, we have the ability to, to recreate on some of this public land that potentially holds the animals we want to go pursue where that private land back East, um, it just, doesn't hold anything for us even though we all do care about you know the the whitetail and, and you know the stuff that is back there that that i may not you know get to get to hunt that yeah. private property ever you know uh are you talking about doug he's got a funny story i kind of hesitate to tell this i don't want to get doug in trouble well i'll tell it so doug's in a bar and, and a guy like a local guy in the bar it's like, oh, yeah, if you want to hunt Doug's place, you got to be like a celebrity. You know, Doug won't let anybody hunt his place. And Doug says, half the bar picks up and goes, well, I was just hunting Doug's place. <laughs> Some guy goes, baby, you don't hunt Doug's place because you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, yeah, I think there is that. Like, sure, you're doing great work, but what's the, how's it benefit me? Um yeah, and it's a, that's a funny thing to bring up, that there is some sort of like a little bit of a selfish nature about public land because you're looking out for your own best interest. But I remember saying it before, that if someone came to me, like, like with the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, if I had to make a deal, uh, oh, we were talking about this with John Gierick. I was like, if I had to make a deal with the devil, and they said, okay, here's, here's, the, here's the story, Sonny. You never, you're never allowed to step foot back here. In exchange for that, we'll never drill it, but you'll never see it again. Or you can come here all you want. I would be like, well, I'll take the, I'll take the I don't step foot on it ever again deal. Like, let's go with that one. So I think that it's not always, but, but I, yeah, I think that you wind up having this idea um, of that you do have a sense of ownership over it. And whether you're going to use it or not, it feels the same way. That's what I think a thing that needs to happen in the conservation world is 
this sense of, um, and it happens in other factions, other cultural factions, where an attack on one is an attack on all. But I think that a lot of times outdoorsmen tend to be very sort of myopic and kind of provincial in their view of that they're really worried about their corner of the world. And it's like harder to picture. Like for me, I've never hunted in Nebraska. So maybe a conservation issue in Nebraska doesn't feel as immediate to me, right? But to try to foster this conservation sense where where people do, they're like, uh-oh, there's trouble brewing in Nebraska. I don't go there. Probably never will go there. Don't have any buddies there, but I'm going to come in in their defense and, and help them out on this this wildlife issue just because I'm viewing it like an attack on one is attack on all. But I think it's super like, frustrating. It's got to, it's not, can't only be a direct threat. It has to be an immediate direct threat for the hunting community to get really fired up from what I've seen. Yeah. It's got, oh, right now? <laughs> this weekend? <laughs> Let me get my boots on. Uh, Mark Borman, concluders? I got a couple. One, my level of guilt for shooting this bearded hen <laughs> <laughs> is off the charts right now, but I put some thought into it because I was thinking the oh, You got to feeling guilty about the bearded hen? Well, yeah, because it's, I felt bad. Cause, well, and actually, I'll say this. I kind of felt bad at the moment, too, but I, I, I put some thought into why those rules are in place, and I think it applies to the scenario in which this incident happened where I called this bird in. I identified with absolute certainty that it had a beard. Yeah. And I made the decision to pull the trigger based on that. And then upon further discovery, was like, oh, well, that's a unique thing. Yeah, but you got to have some marker. Like, you can't say male or female. Because um, you're going to invite, because people are going to be like, well, I'm going to, what's the best way to indicate male or femaleness? And someone might very reasonably say a beard. Right. Because you're not going to tell them, look at the spurs, because it's hard to see spurs. Yep. Like it's down on its foot and he's walking through tall grass. So you can't have that. You can't say like, oh, you got to wait till he fans out and struts and displays because a lot of times they don't do that. Yeah. Or he'll gobble. Well, maybe he comes in quiet. So at some point, and then there's, there's things with the head, like a seasoned turkey hunter mm-hmm. will look at a head, especially in the spring, and know what they're looking at, but not always. So like, yeah. the same way deer, like it doesn't say, well, some states do will say like a buck or male, but oftentimes it's an antlered deer because you got to go like, what is the identifying feature that we're all going to agree upon? So the fact that one in 100 turkeys is masquerading around with the beard, I don't think it's like a... It's a legitimate mistake to make. Right. You see, you're sitting there in the woods and you hear comes a turkey and all of a sudden there's that beard. It's like game on most people. Well, yeah. And that's why I'm, 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 I'm almost wondering and I don't know. Right. But like, like you said, it's an identifying feature. So that rule is put in place. So if something like does like that does happen, like that person didn't break the law. Yeah. Right. Because it was the intent was not there. Like my guess would be that if there was no such thing as a bearded hen, They'd be like, yeah, you can only shoot gobblers in the spring. Yeah, be males. You know, so anyway, that's my, that's my, and then my other concluder. So it's tearing you up. (sighs) Have you pitched Fork Brown off his spawning bed lately? Regularly. (laughs) (laughs) My other concluder is, yeah, I mean, I'll just echo uh, Mark and Cal's uh, thoughts on the, on the BHA rendezvous. Cool event. Awesome. Like-minded people. I think there's um, 
a unique electricity, a unique energy, and a strong momentum of of groups that maybe that hunt and fish, but maybe cross a few other boundaries. And uh, and I think you know I think that momentum is going to hopefully you know carry through where people, whether you do hunt and fish or you know enjoy public lands for other recreational purposes, you know we can all agree on the same thing that about how important they are. Well said. I got two concluders. No, kind of one. Do you, who was here when we were talking about all the way different ways they uh, um, artificially inseminate and extract semen from dogs and whatnot? You were here. For, yeah, 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 yeah. I was. We were talking no one else with, was here. With Ronnie. Ronnie and Doug. Yeah. A guy that listened to that and wrote in how he, uh, when he was in, doing animal and physiology studying in a veterinary school, he was talking about their method of horse semen collection. Is they'd have this, uh, he calls it a large wooden contraption that the stallion would do his business to. And after it did its business, you would use a, they demonstrated how to use it like a little straw. And you just use a little vacuum crate with your own mouth to kind of fill that straw with the semen after he deposited it on this. And whatever. then you just pack the straw away for later use. And you say you only you don't you only oversuck once, man. You don't make that <laughs> <laughs> you don't make that mistake again. But we had gotten a lot. I'm not going to go through them all. We had a lot of feedback from people about how to extract semen from various creatures that I'll uh, I'll not get into right now. But I wanted to share that one quickly. And the other thing I wanted to say is um and this is from the bottom of my heart. Like, uh, dude, it is so nice to have people like all of you guys to talk to. Like honestly, man. Um. Yeah, any sense of loneliness one feels in the world? Like, find a group of guys like you that you can like talk about this shit, and they understand what you're talking about. It uh, it makes me feel very happy and alive. So, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Very much. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms I like them because it gives you hand-free calling meaning when you're working a bird up close you can have your gun on your knee finger on the trigger ready to roll and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.